Baptist Park. We are disciples of Jesus to build generational, transformational disciples of Jesus. It's wonderful to see so many of your half faces this morning. It's great to see you again. We've missed you, and so it's wonderful to have you. And uh, we talk about generational discipleship. Happy uh, Grandparents Day to all of our grandparents as part of that. Uh, your faith uh, is uh, so important and your wisdom. And so we get to see that pass the generation to generation. And uh, boy, we need the Lord now, don't we? And that's why we're going to talk about this series. I've been working on it for uh, a good number of months, uh, and it's been awesome to see how God put something into our heart a long time ago and how timely it is that we're talking about how to survive crisis uh, in a day like today. And so uh, we thought about this as a, a those little life vest things you ever seen they throw out and like, like that one that's there. How You know, sometimes uh, if you fall overboard and... You can only swim on your own power for so long, and you sometimes just need some help. Yeah, but God does that, but he does more than that, doesn't he? He doesn't just save our life. He gives us a whole new life, and that's what we're going to be talking about today in this whole series. But how do we find God's help in times of crisis? When life doesn't make sense, where is God, and how do we cling to him and, uh, and discover his power in our own lives? And so each week, we're going to be going through, we're going to be talking about a different portion of scripture we see god's people facing a real crisis in real life and then seeing how god reveals his power through that and then the principles that we get to cling to why it was recorded in scripture for us and so how we can put those things into practice in our own life i think you're going to find this very uh, encouraging a very practical series and uh, something that i think that uh, as we are clinging to christ and the the hope and the power of his salvation, we'll have the ability to help other people. And our culture is sinking. <laughs> and so uh, we need to make sure that we have a, a solid place to help from. And that's what we're going to be talking about now. Our memory verse for the series, one of my favorite passages, but I've never done this as a memory verse. And so uh, this is going to be fun for us, but it's Nahum 1.7. It says, the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. Isn't that a wonderful passage? And how true that is. <laughs> and so we're going to be talking about that this entire series. This is the heart of our rescuer God, how much he loves us. So as we go into that, we'll just say it along with me a few times, and then we'll get into the message. So three, two, one. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. Nahum 1, 7. All right, again. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. Nahum 1, 7. All right, we, let's do it two more times. Okay. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. Nahum 1, 7. All right, now to test ourselves. This is the second time through. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. Nahum 1, 7. This is a powerful and important passage for us to gain because when we get into times of crisis, sometimes we get forgetful. And we have to remember that God is good, not because our times are good, not because life is good, but because God is good. The Lord is good, period. That's a powerful in and of itself. When the world overcomes us, just to remind ourselves, when the world is bad and life is bad and all things can look bad, God is good. The Lord is good. But he's not just good. He's a refuge for us in times of trouble. So when we're troubled, this is our opportunity to run to him. 
to find our refuge in him. And we can do that with joy and with peace because he's good. And more than that, he doesn't just say, come, he cares for you. You trust in him? God cares for you deeply. Take some time this week. Meditate on it. Think on that passage. On your connection card, there's that, that memory verse thing. Take that with you. But remind yourself of God's nature and his character. Our world needs a refuge God. They need to know who he is. But for us, we need to have that peace to know that our God is a refuge and he is good. So let's get into the day's story. comes to us from Exodus 14. It's a, it's a story that I think that most of you will be familiar with. Those of you who know who Charleston Heston is, maybe will also know, right? Starts in uh, Exodus 14, and this is the story of the Exodus, but a very particular part of the Exodus. We find God's people at a, at a moment of crisis, but it wasn't just at a moment of crisis. It was after a lot of crisis that brought them to this crisis that we get to see today. So let me tell you just the background. If, if you're new to this, uh, what happened before Exodus, uh, God promised Abraham he's going to give him this land. The promised land, which is where Israel is now, because God keeps the promises. Abraham moves there, and he waits, but he doesn't see the promise fully fulfilled. God tells him, listen, your descendants are going to go to Egypt, and they're going to spend 400 years there, and they're going to be slaves. But don't worry, Abraham, I'm going to bring them back. They're going to be delivered, and I'm going to bring them back to this land. And sure enough, Abraham's great-grandson ends up going to Egypt, <laughs> and uh, he does pretty good. It's a great story and uh, how he goes from being a slave to vice pharaoh and he brings the family of Abraham to Egypt and they do really well and after a little while they are enslaved and they're enslaved for several hundred years and then God brings the rescuer as he promised, a man named Moses. And he sends Moses then to go set the people free. And Moses grew up in royalty and then he did something really bad. He murdered somebody. And that's pretty bad. And so he runs away and he spends 40 years out in the wilderness tending his father-in-law's goats and, and sheep. And then he sees a bush that's burning that isn't burning. It was one of those things. And he walks up to it and he meets God. And God says to him, go to that place where you are a refugee, <laughs> where you're a refugee from. Go to that place where you are uh, running from the law. Go there. And tell Pharaoh to let all of his free slave labor go free. And Moses says, that's ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> no. And God says, no, do it. And uh, Moses is like, well, if I'm going, you're not going to listen to me. Who shall I say sent me? And God says, tell him that I am sent you. And then Moses goes back. He trusts him. and His brother helps him out, named Aaron, like me. And... Uh, God brings about 10 amazing plagues to finally convince Pharaoh to let the people go. And each plague got worse and worse and worse. And finally, the last plague, the night of Passover, God says, I'm going to have the angel of death go through the land. And the firstborn of every household is going to die, except for those that are inside of homes where there's the blood on the posts, on the doorposts, the windows. And you go there. And those homes where the blood of the lamb is over, the angel of death will pass over. And sure enough, that night, the angel of death came, passed over all the Jewish people's homes because they had followed God in faith. And the next morning, everybody woke up to, to a bunch of grief, and they said to the Israelites, go. In fact, 
take all of our stuff, just go, right? And so they do go, and, and they head out, and they go on this journey, and we're going to get to this passage in a bit, but this is a journey. Exodus 14, verses 1 and 2, we read, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Haroth between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite of Baal Zephon. And I practiced that so many times. No, but anyway, so anyway, this maybe makes no sense to you, but this is a very powerful passage. And so I'm going to show you exactly what was going on and why this caused such turmoil amongst the Israelites this direction. So here is Egypt, right? The Red Sea at the bottom, Mediterranean Sea called the Great Sea at the top. There's Egypt there, and then we have Canaan. So just a lay of the land. Where were the people of Israel? Well, they were there in this place called Goshen, which is kind of a region right around there where the rivers were there. That's where most of them they took off from, right? And where were they going? Well, up in that upper right-hand corner, you'll see there's a land of Canaan, right? That's the promised land. This is where they wanted to head, okay? And where was Egypt? Well, Egypt was a massive powerhouse. They controlled all of that land. So they had military control and political influence control over that entire area. So, they, so the Israelites wanted to leave that because they'd been enslaved by Egypt, right? And God was going to take them out. So if, if you were going onto Google Maps and you were going to set from Goshen to Canaan, where would you go? If you're going to leave this land, well, you would probably take the northern route. And it was called the Way of Horus. It was a highway that was, went north along the coast. And it's a huge highway. It was there, a huge trading route, right? Beautiful streets, all that kind of stuff. Fast way out. If you have two million refugees on foot, you're leaving. You're going to get out of town quickly to go to the promised land. This is the way to go. Problem is the Way of Horus. Horus is one of those Egyptian gods that our God's not like. And God doesn't like to make, take the Way of Horus. Our God takes his own way. And so where do the people of Israel go? Well, they start from Goshen, and they go through this place called Succoth, uh, and then they go down, and it says to Etham is where they're supposed, where they ended. That's where they got these instructions, right? So they go down along this coast, around the Sinai Peninsula, and they end up there where it, saw, it says on the, on the edge of the desert is where Etham is. So as they go up, they kind of follow the coast, and God leads them, by the way. He's leading them in a, power, a, a tower of, of uh, cloud, by day and fire at night, right? So he's with them. They see God, and he's leading them down, and he leads them to the edge of the desert. Now, you go into that desert, you die. There's just, you, you can't make it through it. And so basically, it looked like God had brought them into a dead end. I don't know if you've ever followed, you know, Siri or Google Earth or whatever, and it tells you to take a turn or whatever, and the road's closed, and you get there, and you're like, I can't trust you, Right? And so they get to this point where they are now hemmed in. They, they've gone as far as they can go. Now they're going to have to go back the way they came, which is kind of embarrassing, right? And so there they are, Ethan. They camp out there, and then we get to our passage where God says to them, tell the Israelites to turn back. No, duh. Where are we going to go, God? We got the sea on one side, and we're surrounded by desert. Where are we going to go? So God says, uh, turn back. Oh, turn back to where? He names four places in there. The first one is that really one hard one to say, right? Pi, 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 hi, I don't know. Anyway, right there. It's on the, it's on the very bottom of, of the, of the uh, Sinai Peninsula. And it was a little, uh, a coastal town 
that was a trading post and a military base. And you can see why militarily it mattered, right? It's right there between the two things as far as trade went, this, mash, this, this huge Egyptian empire, basically, that was a very important military base and a very important trade post that was there. So do you think there were troops there? Oh, yeah, there's troops there. Do you think the Israelites want to go back towards that? No, no. But God says, go south. Go back towards that, right? And so as they're supposed to go south, he then gives them some other directions where they're supposed to stop. They don't have to go all the way south. He says then he wants them to stop between Migdal and the sea. Well, where is Migdal? Migdal means tower. And wouldn't you know it that the Egyptians built a massive military fortification that had a massive tower right at the base of the desert right there? And you know why they did that? Because look at strategically. This is an important point. And they had chariots and all kinds of powerful things right there at Migdal. And God says, I want you to go between Migdal and the sea. I want you to go south, and I want you to go to Migdal and the sea. Now, you could go to the east or the west, right, because there's sea on both sides. So which side does God want his people to go to? Well, he says, I also want you to go by, camp by the sea directly opposite of Baal Zephon, right? And so where was that? Baal Zephon is, uh, literally means... Lord of the North, right? That's, it's uh, Baal or Baal, right? That's the name of Lord or they use the gods or whatever. Lord of the North. And it was the uh, Uberatic storm god Hadid, which was also a lot of folks, uh, scholars believe, was very similar to Zeus, might be the same one, or Jupiter as for the Romans, right? But the storm god. And uh, he was supposed to be the protector of maritime trade. Because you think about, if you are an ocean-faring person, Storms are scary, right? And so they would oftentimes build these temples to Baal right, all over the coasts. In fact, Baal has uh, temples that were even like in Memphis and other places like that. It was uh, worshipped all over. But oftentimes they would have these uh, temples that we built erected across on uh, coastal areas where the people would bring their sacrifices and worship this God. This God. So that way... Uh, the sailors would believe that maybe they wouldn't get struck with a horrible storm, right? Well, wouldn't you know it that there was a Balsaphone uh, temple that was across the, the Red Sea right there. Um, and uh, it's in this mountain. It's uh, on a little island, but it's on Mount Tehran. And it's clearly visible from the opposite side of the shore. It's like this big mountain. And so it would be a, um, a visual place where you can see where we're supposed to cross, right? So so they didn't know they were going to cross, by the way. They just knew that this is where God told them to encamp, right? So here's the place that God told them to go. Go back south, park right there. That's where God told them to go. And then what happens? Right? So they follow God's directions. They're still following him. He got them into a dead end. Now he tells them to go here. And in verse 4, it says, this is what God says. So he brings them there, and he says, verse 4, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. Now, you would think that God said, I've set you free, right? There was a clear path to the promised land. And then God makes a little mistake, maybe, was what they would think, right? And brings them down to the bottom, of, you know, where it gets stuck. And then, and then you think that God, who had all these ten plagues or whatever, would, uh, would then be like, well, maybe I'll just make Pharaoh afraid. So he won't bother us while, you know, I fix this. No. He says to, he says to Moses, I want you to go down there, and I'm going to make Pharaoh's heart hard again, and he's going to pursue you guys. 
So let's again, let's look at this, and you'll see why this was too hard for Pharaoh to pass up, right? He comes down with his armies, all of his chariots and all of this, and he goes to where the Israelites are. Where are they going to go? Well, they can't go to the north. There's the desert there, right? They're going to die there. They, they can't go to the, the east because there's a sea there, and uh, it's a long swim. They can't go to the south because there's a military fortress there with all these ships and the Egyptian might there. They can't go to the west because you have a, a military tower there, and so they're penned in, and now you see Pharaoh. He's like, I've got them. This was too good for him to pass up. Remember, uh, the last plague killed Pharaoh's oldest son. Pharaoh was mad. The people of Israel took everything. This was his chance to show that once and for all, he was going to put an end to the Israelites. He was going to kill Moses and all those people for all the bad things they had done. And he had them hemmed in. There was nowhere for them to go. And so the people of Israel, when they saw this, they were, uh, they were a little afraid. Right? And 410, 14.10, it says this, and it says, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them, and they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. You know what they were thinking? It's a trap! This is what they were thinking. Right? They're like, God brought us here. He got bad directions, and now we're going to die. But God had a plan. In the midst of this crisis, God had a plan. In verse 11, it says, They said to Moses, Was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Now do you see why they said that? After they saw God's power of all the ten plagues that brought them out, now do you see why maybe they were a little panicked? They're like, yeah, God, you were powerful yesterday, but today you kind of seem like you don't know what you're doing. Crisis thinking isn't always clear. You have to understand that crisis thinking makes us forget God's history with us, doesn't it? All we're thinking about is, how am I going to survive today? That's what it does. And the people were trapped. And from a human perspective, there was not a way out. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been a place at a time in life where you were following God, and not in spite of following God, but because you were following God, you found yourself trapped between an army and an ocean. No way out. And it's not just that you weren't creative enough. You just could not find a way out. There's just no way out. That happens sometimes. We read verse 13, and we see God has something bigger in mind. It says, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. What? Did you, army, uh, military base, military base, ocean. I'm afraid. I was like, chill. Do not be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. In the midst of the crisis thinking, in the midst of the panic, there was a man who talked with God. And God filled him in. He said, my plans don't go the way that human plans go. And my power isn't limited by your ideas. I'm doing something in this. It is a trap, but not for you. I drew the Egyptians out so I could set you free. 
And so he reminds them how much God loves him, them. He tells them, remember what God has done for you. Right? Don't panic. Right? Don't be afraid. Stand firm. When we invite God into the crisis, God meets us there, doesn't he? God always meets us. And so in Exodus 14, you read, Moses stretched out his hands over the sea, and that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind, and it turned into dry ground. And then my favorite part, the waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on the right and a wall of water on the left. God made a way where people couldn't. You know, it's interesting if you look at the geography of that particular point. There's a land shelf that, uh, you know, is deep enough that you wouldn't want to walk it when it's wet or you'll drown. But uh, you can actually make a passage there. God knew he could see what people couldn't. God sees below the surface, and he's pretty darn powerful. You know, but when God did this, the people of Israel were saved. They crossed. But then the Egyptians, of course, what did they do? They followed them in, which... Talk about bad judgment. You see a wall of water on both sides, and the God who's, you know, just decimated you makes a way through. Is that a really good idea? Well, no, it wasn't. Spoiler alert. Um, the God closes the water over the top of them, ended the Egyptian most powerful army of the time. That was it. And the Egyptians that the Israelites saw that day, they saw them no more. No than anybody else. They were gone. God annihilated what seemed to be the most powerful army in existence. And he did it right before their eyes, and he did it through a way that they never could have seen coming. Never could have seen coming. And, you know, that event didn't just free the Egyptians from the land of Egypt. It freed them from the fear of Egypt and their minds and their thinking. For as long as Egypt had an army, you saw Canaan. It was close to Egypt. It was right on the border of, of, of Egyptian control. Don't you think that if they made it to the promised land without going through this route, that the entire time they'd be worried about the power of Egypt coming to get them? God made us escape like a dog with our tail between our legs. And God's like, no, I'm setting you free. You're going to be free from fear forever. And this particular event has shaped the whole culture of a people for thousands of years. 4,000 years later, the Jewish people still look back on this as a defining moment of seeing God delivering them. Celebrate it, still. You know, what God did for the Israelites in this, he can also and does do for us. There are principles that we see in this. When we face crisis, when it seems overwhelming, we don't see a way out. There's no human way out. There are some principles that we find in this that God recorded this for us for our benefit. So that we can not just make it out, but that we can have our, see our lives fully saved in the midst of it. And so they comes from, these principles are from Moses' instructions in verse 13. And he says this, remember, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will just see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. There are two really important principles in that that we need to apply when crisis comes into our life, right? When we find ourselves in the impossible situation, there are two things that Moses told the people of Israel to do, and it worked, and those things still work today. <laughs> Good biblical principles. The first one, what we'll call our first lifesaver for the whole series, is this. Don't be afraid. I know 2020 has been a crazy year. It is not lost on me, right? We see crazy stuff happen. 
fires at our doorstep. We see cities being rioted and burned down, right? We see pandemics and all the horrible things, right? Sometimes you look and you say, God, do you know what you're doing? God knows what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. And he says, I want you to be with me. Let's not forget that our God is bigger than this world, that Jesus said, in this world you have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He has overcome it, not will, has. The people of God are not to be a people of panic. Panic limits our ability to see solutions. It, it causes us to lose perspective, right? It makes us think about what's happening right now when we forget all God's power and goodness. Fear oftentimes leads us into bad decisions. I can imagine out of the two million Jews, there may have been a couple that were a little afraid when they saw Egypt come and maybe have tried to run north and they would have died in the desert. Or they might have tried to, to swim, not waiting upon God, and then they wouldn't have made it. Or maybe they tried to go south and got recaptured or went west I mean, and to, the, to Migdal. I mean, sometimes we make bad decisions and miss a panic. So let's stop panicking. Do you know that God loves you? Not just in general, not just the church, not just the assembly. God loves you. It says in the word that before the beginning of time, he knew your name. He dances over you. God cares for you. He has set about your day, every moment, every breath. He knows you. He loves you. He knows every hair on your head, which some people is easier than others. But he also knows every breath you will ever take, every tear you ever cry, every joy that you have. God loves you. He's not going to abandon you. He is sovereign still. He is good still. Can we trust him with our days? One of the things we need to do is look back and remember his work in our life. God brought Egypt through ten plagues so that Israel could go free. And God has been at work in your life too. You know Jesus, every one of you has a testimony. Every one of you have seen his work in your life. You've prayed. You've seen his, his hand. Remember his work. And then the second thing we need to do as we remember that is we get out of panic, which is what the devil always wants us to be is in panic, so we forget these things. But if you step out of panic, you're like, God is in this. God is with me if, uh, if I'm with God. Then stand firm. God's bigger than your crisis. God is with you in the crisis, but you need to be with him, right? So make sure you're standing in faithfulness. I know this, that God redeems every crisis. Romans 8.28 says this. This is a powerful passage. We do it as a memory verse maybe once a year because it's so important for us to remember that we know, know that all, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. It's not a he might. He is. If you are God's child, he's at work in this. And he factors in your stupidity, right? He knows about it. And he already works in your life. And he is actively redeeming everything. He won't allow you to suffer it if he's not going to redeem through it. So what about those of us that would say, what if I'm not with God? Now, I know all of you that are here, but I know that there are a lot of folks that we know who don't know God, who aren't with Christ yet. What about them? There's this thing called good news, that God invites you to be with him. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world, every person, that he gave his one and only son. That whoever would believe in him would not have to perish, but would have eternal life. And he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. We're already condemned. But to save the world through him. And that Savior, the Son, God the Son has a name. It is Christ Jesus. And God himself put on flesh in Christ. And he came to this earth. 
And he died on a cross to pay the penalty for all of our failings and all of our sin and all of our wickedness and everything that was put on him. So we wouldn't have to pay that punishment ourselves. He died so we wouldn't have to. We faced God's wrath so we wouldn't have to. And then, after he had paid the price, he rose again from the dead, proving that he truly is God and he truly has the power to save us. And the amazing thing is, is that any crisis, he says, God will save us if we come to him. We first need to come to him for our salvation. How do you do that? Well, it says we are saved by God's grace. He saves us simply through faith in Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And God wants us to express that faith by believing him. That's just trusting that it's true. Even when it doesn't seem like it, even when it seems like the Israelites on the shore, God's going to come through. You know he's going to save you. We believe and then we confess. We identify with him. We say, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. And, and then we repent. We change our lives. We start following him. We trust that he's actually good enough that he's going to save us. We're baptized. We, we join a church. We become disciples. These are all ways that we're supposed to express our faith. But know this, that it's God who saves us from first to last. Not just the salvation of our souls, but in every part of our life. Which is why truly for every Christian, every person, recognize that our true lifesaver is Jesus. Jesus is our lifesaver. If you do not have Christ, there's nothing to get you across that Red Sea. But if you have Jesus, there is nothing that will stop God's power and his work in your life. And so come to Jesus. That's what we need to start with. We need to be with Christ, especially now. And so if you are in, uh, if you need to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I need you to tell me so I can help you take those steps of faith. And so, you know, I know all of you that are here already have made that commitment, but I know there are some maybe online who will be joining us. Or maybe you have friends who don't know Christ yet. Talk to them. Help them come to say, to know Jesus. And if you're joining us online and you need to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, write to me, Aaron at funchurch.com. Call me here at the church. And we will help you take those steps of, sa- of faith so that you too can be saved. Now, we're going to bring this first message of our Lifesaver series to a close. Next week, we're going to build on that. There are two more really important Lifesavers that we need to add on to this next week. But before we do, there's some next steps for you to take. And maybe one of those is to, to serve Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the first time. Certainly do that. Let us know. But for those of us who already have come to Jesus as our lifesaver, our, our, have come to him by, by grace through faith, there are next steps that we need to take because our world is in crisis right now. And we need to be able to bring God's love and good news to them. So Zach's going to share some of those with you. But right now, I'd just like to pray for us as we consider what next steps God would have for each of us. So let's pray. Father God, Thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your power, your mercy, and your work in our lives. Father, I pray for all of those that are here today, your blessing upon them. Lord, help us to be your people, that we would stand firm in faith. Lord, that that we would, would not panic in the midst of the crisis, but remember your power and your work in our lives and today and your promise. You've given us the book. We've read the end. We know it's good. Help us to stand with you to the very end. Father God, I pray that you would direct each of us in our own heart. How is it that you want us to express what we've learned today? through faith, that we could see your kingdom come in us and through us, that your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. We pray all of that in Christ's wonderful, powerful, beautiful name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you would, pick up that green connection card. We're going to go over a few things uh, that we can commit to this week. Um, The first thing uh, that you can commit to is to 
memorize that scripture that we looked at at the beginning, um, Nahum 1-7. Put that on your heart. Rip that little uh, memory verse card off your connection card and keep that with you this week. Just keep looking at it um, and memorize that. And then secondly is to read Exodus 14 um, to, to kind of recap that story and, and uh, just to remember uh, just how awesome our God is that, that even when we feel like we're surrounded, uh, that God is there with us. And then thirdly, uh, stand firm um, in whatever area of life you're in. Um, um, if you feel like the, the uh, waters are surrounding you in life, stand firm where you're at because God, ha- um, God, God has a way. Uh, he's, and he, uh, he cares for you deeply and he wants to, to bring you through it to walk you to walk with you. And then fourthly is to attend uh, the next five weeks because the next five weeks is the, the Lifesaver Sermon uh, series. And so uh, just to uh, commit to attending those next five weeks and not only to attend, but also um, just uh, challenge yourself to invite somebody.